0: Welcome everyone to Torah Today Ministries and our continuing series called Parsha Seasonings where we take the weekly Torah portion and we bring out some things that are not so obvious in our translations. Things that reveal themselves only in the Hebrew and sometimes only in the Hebrew as it's recorded on the Torah scroll. So this week we find ourselves in the very last Torah portion of Deuteronomy before we begin over again with Genesis. And so here we are in Vezot Habraka, which is Deuteronomy chapters 33 and 34. Vezot means and this, and Habraka means the blessing, and this is the blessing. Now, what's so interesting is that what we have here in this Torah portion is Moses at the end of his life pronouncing a blessing over the 12 tribes of Israel. And at the end of the book of Genesis, we see Jacob on his deathbed doing the same thing, except they weren't tribes yet. They were his sons. And on his deathbed, he pronounces blessings over his sons, And his son, Judah, eventually becomes the tribe of Judah. His son, Issachar, becomes the tribe of Issachar. So, Jacob blesses his sons at the end of his life. And here in Vezotabrachah, we see Moses blessing what those sons developed into, these tribes of Israel. Now there's some interesting comparisons between these sets of blessings and if you want a very rich in-depth study, take the blessings that Jacob speaks and compare them to the blessings that Moses speaks and you'll see subtle similarities and differences. But each one is unique in its own way and it makes a, a really great study. But roll up your sleeves and prepare to spend quite a bit of time doing this. But I promise you it will pay rich dividends. So just to make some quick comparisons. When Jacob blesses his sons in Genesis 49, we see the father of the nation. It was Jacob's sons who became the tribes. But with Moses' blessings, we see the teacher of the nation. This is why Moses is called Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses our teacher. Jacob's blessings follow the birth order of his sons, but Moses blessings don't follow this order and It's assumed the best we can figure out is that Moses established his order for the blessings according to the uh, Order of their conquest when they went into the land as each tribe Settled and conquered its land that is the order in which he produces the blessings, but this is not for sure This is simply a best opinion but what I find fascinating is that Jacob's blessings end with vazot and this. But Moses' blessings begin with the word vazot. For example, if we look at the end of Jacob's blessings, it says vazot, and this is what their father Jacob said to them as he blessed them. And there you see the word vazot and this. But in Deuteronomy 33, 1, the first verse of this week's Torah portion, it says, Vazot, and this is the bracha, Vazot a bracha, with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the people of Israel before his death. So with this ending word for Jacob and beginning word for Moses being the same word, it's as if God wants us to connect to these two things in a complete Circle. We're going to see in this teaching that this, the Torah is constructed like a circle. And what begins with the first word of Genesis circles all the way back around to the last word of Deuteronomy. It makes one continuous whole going round and round over and over. It's a cycle that has no beginning or end. Now, one of the interesting things, that uh, interesting words that appears in this Torah portion, it appears nowhere else, is the word Eish-dat. Eishdat. It's in verse 2. It says, He said, Adonai came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the ten thousands of holy ones with Eishdat. And the English Standard Version says, Flaming fire at his right hand. Different translations handle this in different ways, uh, because when you have a word that occurs only one time, and it's an odd word, um, it, we just don't have a precedent for how to go about translating it. We don't have a context. But the rabbis for centuries have taken this word, esh dot, which you see here, and they just simply divide it into two words. The first two letters spell the word H, which means fire. Aish is the word for fire. And dot is the word that means law. Now, the word Torah does not mean law. The word Torah means instruction. But there is a word that simply means a legal code, a law. And that word is the word dot, Dalet Tav. So it should be translated, we think, a fiery law. Now, the rabbis over the centuries have made much of this, and they speak of the words of the Torah as being a form of fire. In fact, they say that when the Torah was first revealed to Moses, it was black fire on white fire. You know, when we look at a Torah scroll or a printed Bible, we see black letters on white paper. So we see the papers being the very passive thing, but the letters is kind of popping off of the paper uh, because they are what contain the message. But the rabbi suggests that's not the entire truth. The black letters are the black fire. But the empty white space surrounding them is the white fire. And what they mean by this is that not only is what the Torah says fire that is powerful. And fire, you have to remember, is always an image of God's holy presence. God's holy presence. When you see fire in the Bible, God is somewhere showing up. He's he's revealing himself Uh, He is a consuming fire. And when you see fire in Scripture, it's God's holy presence. And so, they say that the words of the Torah are black fire. But even the white space around them is fire as well. Meaning that what God says is powerful. But even the things that God leaves unsaid Are powerful as well. If you only read the ink that's on the page, you're living by the letter of the law. But when you begin to fill in the gaps, when you begin to understand God's ways by connecting the dots of His commandments, then you're beginning to discover the spirit of the Torah. According to the rabbis, there are 613 commandments in the Torah. But there are a lot of things that are not addressed in the Torah. And so these things that are not specifically um, taboo, uh, not specifically forbidden, we might think, well, those are therefore permitted and so we look for these loopholes. And we find that hypocrites through the ages have always looked for, for, for loopholes. Uh, Paul addresses this over in 1 Corinthians. You'll notice there, and I, uh, I'm going to guess chapters 5 or 6, where he talks about, about the things that are, are illegally permitted to me, they're not all, all profitable. And then he gives two examples. He gives the example of of gluttony and of prostitution. Do you realize that in the Torah, there's no specific commandment against gluttony? So, does that mean gluttony is okay? Of course not. Because if you look at the commandments that are there, you begin to create a picture of God's ways. And as you look at God's ways, you can easily Uh, infer from that that gluttony is not something he approves of. Also, there's no specific commandment. And I'm hesitant to even mention this because some wicked-hearted person might hear this and use it as an excuse to justify wicked behavior. But there's no specific commandment against prostitution in the Torah. Now, later in the scriptures, we see that it's definitely frowned on. And I believe it should be illegal. But you're not going to find a commandment in the Torah that specifically um, forbids it. Does that mean it's okay? Of course it's not. And that's what Paul's getting at there in 1 Corinthians. Just because legally there's a loophole there, there's no specific commandment forbidding me to engage in this immoral behavior, therefore it's okay? You say, no, not at all. And so what we see with the commandments in the Torah, it's like dots, 613 dots if the number is correct. But when we connect the dots, we cross the white space. And when we connect the dots, it provides us a picture of who God is. The the Torah was never meant to be a catalog of all the things God doesn't want us to do. Um, That'd be a really boring read if you ask me. It's not a catalog of sins. It's a picture of Messiah. It's a picture of God. It's a picture of righteousness. It's a picture of a godly standard. And from the things that are commanded, we can infer the rest. By reading the black fire, the white fire also has power. And so, we need to realize that even the things that are not said in the Word, but are inferred by it, God's going to hold us responsible for those as well. And God has equipped us with something called a conscience, so that when we're tempted to do something or to refrain from doing something we should, and we think, well, I can't find a particular commandment that commands me to do this or forbids me to do that, our conscience comes along and says, you still know it's wrong. You still know what you should do. And so that white fire, we might call the conscience. And so we want our consciences to be trained and to be sensitive and aligned perfectly with God's will. And that's a tall order. but it's something God does not excuse us from striving to achieve. So, Let's never treat God's Word and His commandments as simply a list of do's and don'ts. It's dots that connect to make a picture of His face. So let's see what the commandments are painting for us. All right. So let's move on. Um, Vazot being the last Torah portion in the cycle I thought it'd be interesting to look at the last words. This is a study in last things, I guess you could say. And if we look at the last word of each of the five books of Torah, uh, we get an interesting kind of map that shows us our walk, what our goal is. Here are the five books of the Bible, the five books of the Torah on the left, Genesis through Deuteronomy. And then in the green, you can see the last word, the last word of Genesis, which is in Chapter 50, verse 26, is B'mitzrayim, which means in Egypt. The last word of Exodus is M'sayim, which means their journeys. Last of Leviticus is Sini, or Sinai. Last word of Numbers is Yericho, Jericho. And the last word of Deuteronomy is the word Yisrael, Israel. Now, when you look at these words in order they kind of provide a roadmap for us, don't they? We all begin our journey in Egypt, the place of great restriction and restraint. Uh, mitzrayim, that word zaraz, is, uh, is a word that refers to be kind of squashed, be squeezed. Um, David uses it, used it many times in his early Psalms, especially about being in a, a tough place, being constrained and unable to move. But Through the blood and body of the Lamb, we're set free and we begin our journeys. And during our journeys, we will have an encounter with God because the purpose of the journey in the wilderness is to take the Torah that God reveals at Sinai and to build it into our lives. And let that old part of us that's still in slavery to Egypt to die. let the new part of us be fed and nourished by His Word to grow up and become the disciples and the people that God needs us to be before we're able to enter into the land of Canaan. And then we're ready for real battle because once they cross and uh, the Jordan River come into Canaan, they come to Jericho where there's battle. And that battle of Jericho is a a great paradigm for the kinds of spiritual warfare God wants us to do. There are actually two paradigms for warfare in the Bible that we need to study, and that's the battle with Amalek, which takes place right before Sinai, and the battle of Jericho, which takes place right as we begin to conquer the land of fruitfulness, the land flowing with milk and honey. And then our goal is to become Yisrael, which means straight to God. And, um, and all of us, in all of our journeyings and our toils and our failures and our learning from failures and successes and growth, all of it is the process of us be, moving from being a Jacob to becoming an Israel. All of our growth is to bring us to this goal. So though, as a Gentile, you may not be grafted into Jacob, you are grafted into Israel, which is a spiritual people, which is something utterly spiritual. Well, you know this this Torah portion Vezot as I mentioned, it's uh, it's read um, after Sukkot, after the uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. You know. Um, Yom Kippur begins tomorrow evening. As I record this, we're looking forward to uh, welcoming Yom Kippur and observing this most holy of days. But then five days after Yom Kippur begins the Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot. And that lasts for a week, seven days. Then there's the Shemini Atzeret, the eighth day of assembly, which is added on. And then after that, we have Simchat Torah, which means rejoicing with the Torah. And it's on that day that everyone gathers at the synagogue, the Torah scroll is brought out. V'zot Habracha is read, this last portion of the Torah cycle. And then the Torah scrolls rolled all the way back to the beginning, and then it's brought up again And the first chapter of Genesis is read. So we complete the Torah and begin the Torah on the same day in the same service. And Simchat Torah is a day when, if you have a synagogue in your community, you may see uh, the people taking their Torah scrolls and and dancing and walking around the synagogue and singing and dancing as they rejoice over God's word. It's It's a wonderful thing to see. Well, there's something amazing that takes place in the Hebrew itself. If we're reading through the Torah and we come to the very last word of Deuteronomy, as we just saw, it's the word Yisrael, the last letter is a Lamed. And then if we go right on to Genesis 1.1, the first word of the Torah is Barashit, which begins with the bait. So the last letter of Deuteronomy is Lamed. The first letter of Genesis is Beit. And these two letters together spell the word Lev, which is the word heart. Because the Torah reveals God's heart, his Lev. I'm going to close with a, a story, a legend That uh, I like, and it's something that we have uh, demonstrated with our children several times uh, during my tenure at Beth DeKoon Messianic Fellowship. And on Simchat Torah, we would take our Torah scroll and we would unwind it. We'd open it all the way up. It's about a hundred feet long or more, and we'd have the adults hold it in a complete circle. So the end of Deuteronomy and the beginning of Genesis, it, it. comes all the way together. We put all the children in the middle and I would take the children and tell them this legend. And the legend goes like this, that when Moses was up on Mount Sinai the second time to receive the second set of tablets, God also gave them the entire Torah. And of course, we know this isn't exactly true, but it's a legend. So work with me here. And so God showed him the tort. It was seamless. It was a complete circle. It was one complete unit. And God says, Moses, I want you to take this down to the people. And he says, but Lord, how do I take this down? It's this one complete huge circle of your word. How, how do I carry it? And he gave him a knife, a special knife. He says, just slice it somewhere and roll it up. And Moses says, where do I slice it? And God says, well, I don't operate on my creation. That is for you to do. So you have to figure out where to slice it. So Moses goes through and he he reads it and he reads all these these wonderful things, goes all the way around. And he says, my Lord, I, I can't figure out where I needed to divide this. And so God says, well, just close your eyes, spin around a couple times, keep your eyes closed, just walk, and wherever your knife hits the scroll, just slice it right there. And so Moses closed his eyes, turned around, stuck out the knife, and sliced. And when he sliced it, it was between that last word of Deuteronomy and the opening words of Genesis. And um, and sure enough, the last letter of Deuteronomy and the first letter of Genesis spell the word heart because it's through the Torah that God reveals his heart. And it's always a wonderful thing to watch the children walking inside the Torah, to be completely surrounded by the Torah scroll and to walk through and point out the different parts of the story and to tell them this legend about how the Word of God is one. It's one complete unit. And... um, And we need to think of the Torah in that way. So I encourage you, if you have not made this your practice, to faithfully read through the Torah schedule with the Torah readings, the weekly readings, and make this a practice throughout the year, year after year after year. Now what you'll discover spiritually is like walking up a spiral staircase, and every year you're a level higher, and the next year your level higher. It doesn't make you better than other people, but it sure does give you a better viewpoint. And as you build the Torah and its message into your mind and heart, you begin to see things more from God's point of view. And your problems look smaller, and God's glory appears bigger. So I encourage you to do that. And uh, so I will see you back here next time as we begin the book of Genesis. I think it's probably my favorite book of the Torah for some reason. So until then, I wish you shalom and may God bless. Amen.